Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. You're listening to the QuickBook Reviews podcast. Brighten your day with a book. Hello, my fellow bookworms. This is Philippa from the QuickBook Reviews podcast. How are you all? Are you okay? Oh my goodness, people keep saying, oh, what books are you reading for spooky season? Or some people call it spoopy. Spoopy season? I don't understand about that. Scoopy? Anyway... It's scary books. I'm sorry. I tried watching Squid Games and it was just too much for me. I just couldn't cope with it. So I'm sorry. I'm very happy to read books about crimes and murders, as long as they're fiction. Um, But give me a book that's actually quite scary and that doesn't involve a murder. No, I just can't do it. Just can't bring myself to do it. So I'm sorry. I haven't got any good book recommendations for you. But I have got some very good recommendations today that are books that are not spooky, spoopy, whatever they are. They are good books. Well, one book I wasn't so sure about, but most of them were good. But before we get started on that, I need to tell you what the wonderful Quick Book Reviews podcast group are reading. If you go join us on Facebook, you'd be very welcome. Uh, Emily's reading Sorrow and Bliss by Meg Mason. Helen's reading State of Terror by Hilary Clinton and Louise Penny. Uh, Julie is reading Rock, Paper, Scissors by Alice Feeney. Claire Saunders has just started The Ex-Husband by Karen Hamilton. Uh, Sars reading, well, she's just ordered The Genesis Inquiry by Ollie Jarvis. Neil's reading The Long War by Terry Pratchett. Rachel's reading Project Hail Mary by Andy Weir. Sue's reading Into the Fire by Amanda Scott. Elaine's reading Hamnet by Maggie Farrell. Lauren's reading The Recovery of Rose Gold by Stephanie Robel. Laura's reading Where the Forest Meets the Stars by Glenda Varadray. Nick's reading The Late Train to Gypsy Hill by Alan Johnson. Ace is reading In Black and White by Alexandra Wilson. Nancy's reading The Heron's Cry by Anne Cleves and The Judges List by John Grisham. Nancy's going for two, stereo. Um, Hopefully not actually reading them literally at the same time, Nancy. Hopefully one book and then go to the other one. Uh, Vic is also reading State of Terror by Louise Penny and Hilary Rodham Clinton. Jacqueline's reading The Hypnotist Love Story by Lan Moriarty. Amanda's reading Coffin Road by Peter May. Mark's rereading The Loney. Is it The Loney? By Andrew Michael Hurley. Yes, it's The Loney. Oh dear, one of those days, guys. Um, and Debbie's reading Miss Austin by Jill Hornby, or she's starting it tomorrow. 
Um, and uh, yes, there's quite a few different books that are going on there. And what books am I going to talk to you about? Well, let me get them in a little pile. Uh, we've got Dead Man's Grave by Neil Lancaster. We've got Femlandia by Christina Delcher. We've got The Startup Wife by Tamima Anam. We've got Our Doris by Charles Heathcote and Plain Bad Heroines by Emily M. Danforth. Quite a selection. As I say, some some books I loved um, and one I wasn't sure about. So I do need to talk to you. Let's start with Dead Man's Grave by Neil Lancaster. We've got Neil coming on. Now, I know I've talked about this before. I'm going to wang on about it again. I am missing really good crime books. Um, there are so many psychological thrillers and that's nothing against them. They're brilliant. They're such great reads. But I've been yearning a good crime book. And by that, I mean a book where there is police involved, there is a crime, but there's more to it than that. And and it's one where you just want to keep reading. Um, and I'd heard about Neil Lancaster. Shamefully, I haven't read his other books, but this guy gets good reviews. So I was like, right, I really think I need to read this. And the great thing about this for me was it was the start of a new series. So it's very easy to, to jump on to, uh, to this new series and really get invested from the beginning. Um, let me read you the blurb. The head of Scotland's most powerful crime family is brutally murdered and dumped inside an abandoned grave in a remote cemetery. As DS Max Craigie and DC Jane Calder investigate, they uncover a blood feud between two Scottish families that stretches back to the 1800s. One thing's for certain, this might be the latest killing, but it won't be the last. Uh, right, first sentence. Let's just do the first sentence. Dead man's grave. Oh, they have, see, the first, the first sentence is very short. The second sentence is very short. So I'm actually going to go for three sentences. Have I ever done three sentences before? Hey, we're, we're breaking records today. Here we go. Tam Hardy was now sure he had found the place. He felt a swell of emotion in his chest as he surveyed the dense tangle of bracken, gorse and brambles that covered the low wall of the cemetery. I really loved this book. I thoroughly enjoyed it um, and I can't wait to read the next one. Um, I thought it was really uh, highly commendable. Um, I'm going to have to go and read his other books now if you like a crime book and if you like a crime book with something else um, because as well as the, the police side of this, there's, some, there's the influence of organised crime as well as another element of the story. Uh, so it just it ticked all the boxes for me. Good characters, good crime, uh, good storytelling. Uh, yeah, excellent. And uh, yeah, I'm really keen to talk to Neil about this. So let's go and talk to him now. So Neil Lancaster, author of Dead Man's Grave. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. It's, uh, I'm thrilled to be here. <laughs> well, you're already an accomplished author, uh, you know, a series already done. I'm interested. Why this book and why now? Um, well, you know what? It happened by absolute accident. I mean, this is a story I've told quite widely and um, I've even blogged about it because it just proves the old adage that there's a story out there and sometimes it can just smack you in the face because that's exactly what happened. And it was it was Christmas 2019. 
we were staying with some friends in a lovely big house down in, in Pitlockery, um, which is not far from Perth. Um, and I got talking to, there's a big, huge place, and there's loads of people there, including the father of, of a good friend. Now, he's a Scot, but he had lived nearly all his life in Australia and New Zealand, you know, 50, 60 years in Australia and New Zealand. He was over to see some family. And he's a real crime fiction fan, and he was asking me all about Scottish crime fiction and the, the authors I knew and huge fan of Ian Rankin and things like that. And he goes, I've got an idea for a book, or I've got somewhere you can start a book. Now, I did what we all do, and you go, because, ah, you, you know, we've heard it all before. But what he told me was an absolute doozy in that he said we were in Case Ness many, many years ago. My family's, my wife's family come from up there, wild area of Scotland, right at the north end. He goes, oh, we found this old tumble down graveyard in the middle of nowhere, literally in the middle of nowhere, he goes, and most of the graves were knocked over. You had to struggle through undergrowth to get in, but I managed to clear it away from one grave. And the grave just said, this grave never to be opened. And he goes, well, that's a story, isn't it? You must be able to get a story from that. And I thought, Oh, that is a good idea. That is. That fires off your imagination. It really did. And the, the thing is, at that point, I had written three books in my first series, the, the Tom Novak series, that I really enjoy writing and I was really pleased with. And, you know, they'd gone okay with a very small publisher. And, you know, they're sold pretty well. You know, I charted very high, et cetera. But then I couldn't get this out of my head. And I just—I was just delivering the third of the Novak series, and and the publisher I had then he said, "You're going to write another one." And I said, "Well, no, I've got—I've got an idea for something else, so I might have a look at that first. So I did. I started, and I thought, "How do I? You know, it's a great idea, it's a great concept, but how do I integrate it into a book, into a story that I want to tell? You know, I'm—I'm I'm not going to. I mean, it would be great if you're in historical fiction or historical crime." Obviously, if you if you really fancy doing a pandemic, although I, I don't know who wants to read about that at the moment. But I thought, well, how because how do I bring this into a contemporary fast-paced thriller, which is what I want to write? And so I came up with this idea about what happens if they open this grave, what happens, this grave that should never be opened, and linking it in with a, a centuries-old feud with the head of the most powerful criminal gang in Scotland being murdered in that graveyard. And I just thought, well, where do I go from there? And then I thought, well, how about if the family want revenge? And not only on the person who did it, but all of that family, all to do with this old um, feud dating back to 1830. So that's what I did. And I just dreamed up Max Craigie. I dreamed up his sidekick, Jamie Calder, and the other characters that you know started to make their, their presence felt. And did Max and Jane present themselves both to you at the same point or did Max come first and then Jane followed after? Um, Max came first. Um, again, it's the whole thing. I wanted him to be a little bit of an outsider because um, he works now for Police Scotland. Of course, now Police Scotland is an amalgamation of a number of forces and there is still you know, a fair bit of animosity there between some, some of the legacy officers. But then I thought, well, let's make him even more of an outsider. Let's make him come from London, um, even though he is a Scot by birth. And I sort of, you know, in some ways retracing my own steps here. You know, I'm an ex-Met officer. 
I'm, I've got an ex-military career behind me as well. And yet here I am in the wilds of Scotland. So it, it was in some way that I also wanted him to be a bit of an outsider. So he's been away from Scotland for quite a long time, but in the army and in the Met Police. And he, he comes with a little bit of baggage from the Met Police in that he, um, he shot and killed someone, um, you know, legitimately. But, mm. you know, these things and something that happened in Afghanistan, they, they left a mark on him. One that he manages, doesn't dominate his life, it doesn't rule him, but it's there. And so that's where I wanted to come with Max, but he's very competent, very smart, very able. Um, I wanted him to have a sidekick and I wanted her to be very different. Um, so she's from, a, on the face of a very privileged background, very moneyed background. Um, you know, she went to university in Edinburgh. She's very, very smart, a little awkward, um, a little uncomfortable in certain situations, but she's destined for the, for the top. She's on the accelerated promotion scheme and they make, what at first seems like a very unlikely partnership, but it's a partnership that really, really develops. And it's it's got more and more fun to write the more I, I've written it. And I, I felt in safe hands, I felt that you really knew your subject. Obviously, with your experience working in the military police and metropolitan police, I felt like I could trust you and not sort of worry about um, the logistics of the police work, that you you knew what, what you were writing. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, obviously, my career is in law, law enforcement since the age of, you know, 18. I was involved in that sphere in one guise or another. Um, but, well, you know, it can be a bit of a curse being an ex-cop because the, the temptation is in crime to write too much, to try and get too much procedure in there, to try and, and show yeah, yeah. you know what you're talking about. And it's not necessary. You know, you can uh, one line can replace pages because you give the right line at the right time, leave it up to the reader, and the reader will just then assume. They just think, oh, you know, this guy knows what he's talking about. So, yeah, I, I, but, you know, I had to be careful because I mould my experiences in England. And, of course, there's a very different legal legal proceeding, uh, legal procedure in Scotland. They've got, you know, the, the, the legal system is entirely different. But, you know what, cops are cops. So, and, you know, the cops in Scotland are the same as cops in England. Um, some of the procedures are a bit different, but fundamentally, it's all the same. I did have to be careful. I did make a mistake. Um, somebody very kindly sent me a message of uh, an ex-police Scotland cops to when I was talking about an authority level that's required to get a certain thing not to happen. In England, it's the Home Secretary. And I just wrote Home Secretary without thinking about it. But it's actually the Scottish First Minister who authorises that. So, you know, we all make there are mistakes and they do happen. and. I hold my hands up and I said, yep, got me. <laughs> as far as I'm concerned, though, it, it is fiction. So I'm not looking to sort of hold you to account, but it was just that um, I could just enjoy the book and, and not worry that uh, that you didn't have the knowledge there. But do you, do you miss the police work or have you got more than enough stories to last your writing career? You know, I mean, the stories all have to be new. The stories are a, pro a product of my imagination, but they are obviously influenced by things I've done and places I've been and people I've met. You know, you get this rich store of characters, you know, that the, the are in the police. And there are some, there's every type of person who, who joins the police, every type, from every type of background. 
So it gave me those. It made that easy for me. I think it makes it easy for me to come up with the characters because these are. I just have to sort of take amalgams of people I've met and mm. and and throw that in. And then you know, with your with when you go through the editing process, your editor can help you. Maybe he'll pick out the bits um, that will help you develop those characters and really build them up. So yeah, you know, I, but I don't miss being a cop. Not not in the slightest. When I I left six years ago, um, I, I'd done my time. I qualified for my pension and I knew I wanted to go for a number of reasons one I wanted to try and maybe do something different but two most importantly we wanted to move to Scotland you know, we were living in, uh, in the home counties at the time and we both had this real strong desire we've been coming up here for quite a while and we've fallen in love with the place and we had a real desire to move to Scotland so I've never looked back there's never been a moment where I thought oh I wish I was still a cop they're having a whole time at the moment were you writing at all when you were still working as a cop or did that happen later no never never put pen to paper um as a fiction writer before leaving the cops um it, you know the, the seed had been planted many years ago with a school teacher i had been i don't know 12 13 something like that and we had to do a bit of creative writing and this teacher just said to me he read something and he goes this is really great now you know you, you've got some talent you should really harness this and don't let this Flip. Of course I did. Ignored everything he said. And but it did plant that seed. And it was it was when I found myself when I moved up here with time on my hands. I mean, there's only so much you can walk the dog. There's only so much gardening you can do and all that sort of things. And there's not a huge amount of work for someone with my background. I was doing a bit, but not a lot. And, it, you know, I'd always been a voracious reader ever since being a, a kid. I was reading when, other, when my mates were reading the B-Note, I was reading thrillers. I was that weird. You know, I was reading Alison McLean, Desmond Bagley, Hammond Innes, all these sort of old school 1970s thrillers that I, I really considered to be my biggest influence. And I just suddenly thought, I, I wonder if I could wonder if I could write a book. And it literally was no more thought than that. And I came up with an idea about this character, Tom Novak. I wanted him again to be an outsider, so I made him a you know, I was I was quite fascinated by the Bosnian conflict in the 90s. So I thought well, maybe he could be a refugee from that and built this new character up. And I had a sort of an idea of a way of starting it. And I, I just started writing um, Planet, just wrote it. And, you know, the usual thing that happens to everyone. I got widely rejected because I I didn't do the right things. You know, I didn't I didn't sell the book properly. The book wasn't ready. But eventually after some help from various people, I, I managed to get a deal with a small publisher and found myself published. And I'd never looked back and just discovered this absolute love for, for writing stories. That's, that's amazing. That's one, wonderful to hear. I'm interested, you describe, you talk about reading thrillers when you were younger and you describe this book as a thriller. Whereas in my mind, Yes, there's this mixture of sort of organised crime and, and the police and, and the relationship of that. But for me, it's it's a really good crime book. It's 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 the solving of a crime and the sort of the who done it and the why done it and the implications of it. Yeah, I I set out. Because I really wanted to write a wholly Scottish book, the last series was. It had a foot in Scotland, but really they were based in London. They were based in in, in Sarajevo, in Serbia, in in you know um, the Ukraine. 
that, you know, fundamentally they had a foot in Scotland, but I wanted to write a wholly Scottish book. You know, this is my home now. Scotland's my home. I love it dearly here. Um, and I, I wanted to be part of this Scottish crime writing community. This, you know, this, there's an incredible breadth and depth of writing talent up here. And I, I wanted to be part of that. So I, I thought I want to write a Scottish crime book. I wanted it to be steeped in a sort of a dark, creeping, brutal, you know, crime book. But I wanted to give it the heartbeat of a thriller. I wanted it to have the pace of a thriller. Yes. I wanted it to, to I wanted it to be a page turner. Because that's what I love to read. I love to read page turner. I mean, I love all types of books. I mean, I I mean I'm reading Sarah Hillary's book at the moment, the latest one, Fragile, which is superb. Um, but it's not a fast-paced thriller, it's a slow burn, creeping um psychological thriller. But I, I wanted to write this fast-paced thriller, and I, I didn't really know what I was going to get because I don't plan my books. I, I sort of discover the story as I write it. And I didn't quite know what I was going to get. I started out with the intention that it would be maybe a bit of a crime, but with I wanted to give it plenty of pace. I didn't really know what, what I was going to get. And it was only really other people telling me what I delivered. I didn't really know. I just sort of come up with this thing. And I just think that's a good story. I like the story. I'm really pleased with it. And, you know, my agent loved it. And then, you know, I got a publishing deal with, um, I mean, I've got a number of offers of, of publication and I ended up going with, with HQ who are an imprint of HarperCollins and my editor was, you know, said great things about it. And so it was great, but it wasn't until that point that I perhaps realized what I'd written because I just sort of write what feels, you know, I can feel my way through a book and, um, you know, I was obviously delighted with the results. Um, and, I, you know, it seems to be really popular. People seem to really like it. And with having written the Tom Novak series as well, did Tom allow you to write a book about Max or was Tom sort of knocking on your, on your mind saying, oi? It's funny because I saw, I did manage to shelve Tom and I love Tom. He's a terrific character to write. I mean, he's got some issues. He's and you know he has massive issues with empathy because of what happened to him as a kid. And you know he would, if he was assessed, he'd probably be a borderline psychopath. But he lives well. He lives well to a code. And even though he's willing to completely cross the line and do whatever he thinks is the right thing to do, whereas Max is a lot more straight and honest and goes by the. I mean, he goes a bit off script, but that's because he didn't really have a lot of choice because of the corruption he faced. He, he had to do this to, in, or, in order to, you know, stop what was happening, this real huge injustice that was going to happen, people dying, etc. So, yeah, there's a bit of Novak that goes on in, the, in terms of he was willing to do what was right and, and willing to cross the line to do what was morally right. But he made it right. It was made right and it was all made legal and all done the right way. Whereas Novak would have had a different way of solving these problems. Would have, he would have just killed everybody. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been quite a different book. It would have been a very is, different book. <laughs> is there going to be another Max Craigie book? Uh, there's going to be a, there's at least two more. Um, yeah. Uh, number two is out in February the 23rd. It's called The Blood Tide. Um it's on it's on pre-order now it's selling really well pre-orders are going really well um and proof copies will be going out pretty soon i think um so i'm, I'm really really pleased with it i'm really really pleased with it um i'm assuming my editor thinks it's better than the first one so wow. that's a 
you know, that that's lovely to hear. I'm, you know, genuinely pleased with it. I have written the third one, um, which is currently sat with my editor. He's given me the first bit of feedback on it, which I've done, waiting to see what comes out of the line edit. But I think it's shaping up really well. I think that there's a good good book in that as well. Yeah, you know, they all need a bit of work. But um, yeah, there's going to be that. And Touchwood, depending on what HQ say fairly soon, I have pitched for more. And um, I think we'll see more. I think Max will be around for a little while yet. Well, I hope so, because, um, yeah, they're, they're books that I've been sort of crying out for. I think we've there are some really great crime books, but there's a lot more psychological thrillers at the moment. So it's nice to get really good crime books and to know that there's at least two more and hopefully HQ, if you're listening, uh, many more after that. It sounds like you're writing at quite a power. How quickly do you get the books done? Um, I can, I can, I mean, I tell you what, I overstretch myself a little bit because I, when I um, first got the idea for this, I was in, I was finishing the, the third of the Novak books and then I found myself get got distracted. So I was sort of bouncing between the two and I'd written a bit just to see if I got, you know, if I could flesh out the idea that I had. And then I went back to the Novak to finish it and I delivered that. And then I carried on writing. I managed to get an agent my agent now, Rob, Robbie Guillory. And um, he loved it and he signed me on a partial. Um, and then I, I got hit with a big structural edit on the third Novak, which took me a while. So I had to step away from the, the Craigie book for a while, but then I went back to it. And then I wrote really hard and I wrote really fast. And before I even had the deal with HQ, I think I was, I'd written a fair bit of the second one. Um, so as it turned out, I wrote over, I wrote three and a half books in a year, too much. And I wouldn't do that again because I, I mean, I've had a bit of time off and I, and I've needed it to not, you know, not, not to sort of recharge my, I'm not going to say, oh, poor me or anything, but what I'm saying is I think you need, you need idea, time for the ideas to develop and ferment and, and, you know, you've, you've just got to sit and have time to consider and watch TV and, read other books and things like that to, to, you know, read the newspaper, stay up with the news so you can come up with new ideas and say that the idea for book four is there ready to go. Um, so yeah, I, I wrote, I've written three books quite quickly and I, I'm in the stage now where anything I write now probably won't be out until 2024. Mm, um, gosh. But it's great, you know, I'm, I'm ahead of the game. The, the books are there and there's always the promotional stuff that needs doing, which, you know, does eat, eat into your time. And, you know, there's going to be, you know, because they, they split the publication, starts off with ebook and audio, then goes um, hardback a couple of months later and then uh, paperback a, a few months later. I mean, the paperback to Dead Man's Grave will be out on the 21st of January. But it sort of means you've got three launches and then mm. there's the publicity that goes with each of those. So, all of that can eat into your time and people will say, well, can you write some pieces for us? Or can you do some features for the newspapers or HQ will say, can you write us a blog about this? And so all these things do eat up into your time, but I'm in a position where I, you know, the next three books are kind of in the bag. Um, and then it's just what comes next. So, but I've got plenty of ideas. So, you know, there's, there's plenty more to write. Apart from what you have to, provide to your editor publisher in terms of 
the plot, the plan for, for a book. How are, are you a, a, a detailed plotter or are you just, right, let's just get in and Not let's at all. breathe it? No, I did. I, I'm a, I, I, you know, I, I'm a bit like Ian Rankin. If I wrote the book and I knew who did it before I started, I wouldn't want to write the book. I don't know what the intro, I mean, it, things change as I, as I write through. I have an idea. I mean, the, the, the pitch which I've delivered to HQ for the fourth book is 200 words. You know, it's not much. I don't need very much. It's just the idea where, where I see the book going and then pose some questions about what, you know, what, what can happen here, what can happen here, what can happen here. And they seem happy with that. Um, but I, I can't, I don't see myself writing a plan. And I admire people who can plot and plan. Um, I mean, Laura Shepard Robinson, wonderful historical crime writer, will spend months planning, months, and 30,000, 30, 40,000 words on a plan. I really admire that because then the writing process, you don't get these, hopefully, you wouldn't get these things where you, you sit thinking, how am I going to get out of this? How am I going to get out of this little hole, I've, this corner I've backed myself into? But for me, it works. It just works. And you know, I don't write anything down. I've got a whiteboard, which I might scrawl something on. I may scrawl something on a few post-it notes as I think about them just to, but you know, most of the ideas I have, I forget 50% of them. Um, I'm not one of the people who walks around with a notebook. Uh, I never put anything on my phone. I just hope that the good ideas survive and I, and I, and I can stick with them so far it's going okay. So um, I'll keep going as I am. I'm a, I'm a pantser. Definitely, but it works because yeah, they're they're books that keep us turning the pages. So yes, don't don't change that. It it works really well. Well, um, really enjoyed Dead Man's Grave. Really looking forward to book two, the the Blood Tide, as you say it's called. And and after that, so Neil Lancaster, thank you so much for joining me today. My pleasure. Enjoyed being here. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board certified physicians who can prescribe FDA approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... 
All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Well, that was very interesting, wasn't it? Gosh. Um, and from one great book to another one. So the next book I'm going to talk to you about is Femme Landia by Christina Delcher. It's a sort of dystopian um, fiction. She's written quite a few. I always find them incredibly compelling. Uh, this is, well, let me read you the blurb. Imagine a world without men, a world without worry. Welcome to Femlandia. The country has sunk into total collapse. Men in positions of power have wrecked the economy and left women to suffer and pick up the pieces. Miranda Reynolds has lost her husband, her job and her home. There's only one place left that she and her daughter Emma can go. Femlandia. Femlandia is a female-only community, a utopia for women. There's a reason Miranda never joined before. Now she has no choice. With what Miranda knows about Femlandia's founder, she's right to be wary. While life outside the gates is fraught with danger, there's something just as sinister going on within. Let's read the first sentence. And uh, I, yeah, OK, I'm going to apologise to you now because I'm recording this in half term. And half term is always a challenge because it means there is somebody directly in the room, directly underneath, shouting at their Xbox. And... Um, yeah, so that's that's the situation. And the shouting, as far as I'm aware, seems to be getting louder right now. So I'm really hoping that uh, that we can just plough through this because there's good books. So anyway, this is the first sentence. Two men and a truck are all it takes to finish us. I really enjoyed this book. There are parts of it that I thought, oh, my goodness, let's hope this isn't how the world ends. There's a lot of parts that made me think that. Um, but I found it compelling. I like books like this that made me think and imagine what might happen if events go a particular way. Um, I think Christina writes really well. Um, I, yeah, I was captivated by the book. If you're happy to read dystopian, it's so trite for me to say, oh, if you like The Handmaid's Tale. But it's fair enough. If you haven't tried any other uh, books, but you thought that The Handmaid's Tale was good and compelling um, and you want to explore more of those, where could the world go very quickly, then I think this is a great starting point. Um, I thought it had... Uh, the great scenes. I could visualise it all. I wanted to keep reading to find out what happened. Um, yeah, great book. Congratulations, Christina Dulcher. Another another scorcher of a book. So there we go. Um, so now we come to The Startup Wife by Tamima Anam. I love this book. I love this book. And it's one of the few books where I have turned down tabs of different pages where there were sentences that were just, to me, were just like, wow, I'm never going to forget these sentences. Obviously, I've forgotten them. But no, that's why I've turned down the pages. Now, it's a funny story as to how I picked this book up. And it shows shows what a cheap person I am. Um, but I'm very lucky. My daughter works at a bookshop 
very lucky. And although when she comes home, I have so many questions for her, she is not interested in giving me any answers. And this sounds terrible, but I'm willing her to be a little bit unwell so she can't go into work. So I could offer to go in instead, not wishing, you know, bad health on her, but I would just love the opportunity. Anyway, she came home one day with a present for me It was from work and it was a little badge. And it was just this badge with these different sort of pinks, reds, yellows, blues on it. And it said the startup wife. And I thought, oh, well, that looks interesting. And she said, oh, it's a book that, you know, there's a badge for you. And I thought, oh, I, I like the sound of that. I don't know why, but I've got a good feeling about it. So I did look up the blurb, first of all. And as, as soon as I heard the blurb, I was like, yeah, I am. I'm getting this book. I have a good feeling about it. And I loved this book so much. Um, OK, let me let me read you the blurb. Halfway through her PhD and already dreaming of running her own lab, computer scientist Asha has her future all mapped out. Then a chance meeting and whirlwind romance with her old high school crush Cyrus changes everything. Dreaming big, together with their friend Jules, they came up with a revolutionary idea to build a social networking app that could bring meaning to millions of lives. While Asher creates an ingenious algorithm, Cyrus's charismatic appeal throws him into the spotlight. When the app explodes into the next big thing, Asher should be happy, shouldn't she? But why does she feel invisible at the boardroom table of her own company? Why are decisions being made without her? Let's go to first sentence. Prologue. No such thing. People say there's no such thing as utopia but they're wrong. Um, I just loved this book. I loved its take on the world of fundraising for corporates, of launching apps, of um, people. I love this, the fact that there's this relationship of two people and then they're involved in this business and how it can change it. It was a book that I just didn't want to put down. Um, I... I, I'm not letting go of this book. I'm actually holding it to my face. That's quite weird, isn't it? It's a great book. People, why isn't this book getting more attention? Why isn't this book absolutely everywhere? And, and it's so silly. If I hadn't been given that little badge, I wouldn't have had this. Um, extraordinary book. Uh, the, the author, Tamima Anam, can definitely, definitely write. And I can't wait to read more of her work exceptional brilliant superb yeah I quite liked it I think I think you can gather um and now on to a very different type of book this is called Our Doris by Charles Heathcote um now you know me I like to be down with the cool kids and uh, have a look on YouTube there's a particular side of YouTube called booktube um where there are people like exactly how I do I like to waffle on about books on the podcast people like to waffle on about books on YouTube. Uh, clearly, I would never do YouTube because, well, there isn't enough makeup uh, to make sure I was uh, not going to cause people to scream when they go onto YouTube. Um, but come on, Philippa, let's tell the story. So I came across Charles Heathcote because he has a YouTube channel and I find him a sense of humour, particularly when he's talking about his family, very funny. How these people aren't on Gogglebox I do not know because I think they would be sensational. Um, he's just got a very interesting way of observing what goes on in his world and talking about his family. It, it just it makes me chuckle. Um, 
and he's had mentioned about the series that he's written about this Doris character. And then I'd seen someone else read the book and review it. And I thought, oh, I think I need to read this. So let me read you the blurb. The Partridge Muse Women's Institute have announced a garden safari and Doris Copeland, pillar of the community with a tenure as Maria in The Sound of Music that involved an awful gastrointestinal bug, plans on securing her position as fifth house. Join her as she battles ne'er-do-well slugs, searches for the perfect artisan sausage and comes against her mortal enemy, Janice Dooley of Little Street, all whilst maintaining a perfectly silver-crined hairstyle. Told from the perspective of her long-suffering husband, Harold, a man who would be content to sit at home watching reruns of Crown Force. This is the first book of monologues featuring our Doris. See, I'm laughing again as I read it. Let's do the first sentence. Uh, Chapter one is entitled Slugs. Our Doris has developed an unhealthy obsession with slugs. I really enjoyed this book. I thought it was such a change from other things that I've been reading. It was humorous. I could immediately picture the characters. Um, Someone said it reminded them of Hyacinth Bouquet. Um, And I understand exactly why they would say that. But for me, it was Last of the Summer Wine. Um, It was just the the characterisations, the humour that comes through, not by trying to make say something that is funny but just by the smart observations um i thought it was it was really good and as the I, i've read in the sort of the blurb it is written there all each chapter is like an individual monologue um from the husband the long-suffering Harold. Uh, really good. Um, more people need to be reading this than getting to experience the the delights of Doris. And don't be put off thinking, oh, monologue, I don't, don't do that. You could treat it as a series of connected but individual short stories. Um, and so you could get the book, read the first chapter, the first story, go off, read another book, come back and read the second chapter and, and so on like that. Um, I think you would enjoy it just as much. And it's great because it's the start of a series. I really love reading about Doris. I can't wait to hear what other scrape she gets into and how she continues to drag Harold round after her. So, uh, yes, really good discovery. Thoroughly enjoyed that one. And now we come on to the last book, Plain Bad Heroines. This is a bit of a clunker, this book. This is it's about 600 pages. Um, yeah, just over 600. Now, this I read this because it was part of uh, a book club that I'm, I've joined some years ago, I think now, Lauren and the Books. See, she's another YouTuber. I am cool, aren't I? No, I'm really not, am I? And the more I try and say I'm cool shows that I'm not. But anyway, member of the book club. And this was the book that was chosen. It's a huge book. It's got this great bright yellow colour, um, pink writing and this wasp on the front. Uh, let's Let's read the blurb before we go on. So... Brookhunt School for Girls, infamous site of a series of tragic deaths for over 100 years ago, soon to be the subject of a controversial horror movie about the rumoured Brookhunt's curse. In the early 1900s, Brookhunt students Flo and Clara fell madly in love, brought together by their obsession for a scandalous memoir. A few months later, they were found dead in the woods after a horrific... Oh, my goodness! Hmm... 
If you're wondering, yeah, okay, let's go through what I haven't had. I haven't had coffee yet. I haven't had tea yet. I haven't had chocolate yet. I haven't had breakfast yet. I had to eat a banana because my stomach's rumbling so much. Um, but now I'm just aware that the noise from child below me on Xbox is getting louder and louder. So I feel like I'm speaking faster and faster to get through it. So let's try again and see if I can pronounce the right words. A few months later, they were found dead in the woods after a horrific wasp attack. And the book lying next to their intertwined bodies. Three more grisly deaths followed before the school was forced to close. Now the school's doors are open once more, but the crew of glamorous young actresses assembled to start filming, past and present begin to blur. And soon it's impossible to tell quite where the curse ends and Hollywood begins. Um, now, it's an interesting book. It's got some really good illustrations. There's lots of notes. So as you're reading along, the, you know, you'll, you'll find that there are notes that add to it. Um, it's written in an interesting way. The, the first third of this book, I was like, oh, my goodness, I'm going to love this book forever. And I'm going to have to get earrings made from this book. It's so good. And then it just lost it for me. I didn't. Did I care as much about the characters? I, I, yeah, I didn't care about the characters. I didn't care about the modern day characters. Certainly cared about wasps. And having read this book, everywhere I went then, I was seeing wasps, which if you've read the book, you would be a little bit concerned about. Maybe this is the most spooky book uh, I've read. It didn't. It didn't scare me, apart from the wasps, and that definitely did. Um, but yeah, in the end, it was just a bit of a... It was one of those where you know you've got to finish it for book club, but you then you can't. And do you know what? Having read it, I then couldn't make the book club because I was recording another podcast. Um, and so having done all of that, I didn't even get to discuss it. I read 600 pages for no reason whatsoever. So so that's good. I think a lot of people would enjoy it. And certainly from what I've heard, a lot of people in the book club did. So I'm not dismissing it outright. It was maybe it was me, the time um, and certainly won't be tagging in the author into this. But I'm just, you know, saying what I think for me, having had this initial pull in, I, I just lost it, lost interest with with the book, which is a shame because it's a great cover, great premise. Um, and if you've read it, let me know, because maybe you really enjoyed it. Maybe I need to beat myself about the head with this book and uh, remonstrate with myself that uh, that I did the wrong thing and I should have loved it. But there, there we go. Can't win them all. Um, so let's have a quick recap on all the books that we've covered today. So we've had Dead Man's Grave by Neil Lancaster. Loved that book. Great crime. Uh, I know Neil was talking about it being a thriller. I'd say maybe it's a thrilling crime book, but that's just my view. But it's a great book, basically. Then we had Femlandia by Christina Delcher. Really enjoyed that one as well. Great book. Uh, then we had The Startup Wife by Tamima Anam. My goodness, that book. Love that. Definitely getting earrings made of that one. Uh, then we had Our Doris by Charles Heathcote. Such a change. So well written. Really good fun. Uh, and I'm definitely going to lend it to my mother. I think she'll enjoy that. And then we had Plain Bad Heroines by Emily M. Danforth, which was plain bad. <laughs> That's terrible. And my stomach's rumbling so much. But uh, I'm sure I'm going to rush to go now before just everything collapses. But I'm sure everyone else has enjoyed that one. Um, I've got a great author to interview next week. I've got lots of books to talk to you about. I can't wait. So look, just look after yourselves 
and I'll see you very soon. Take care now. Bye-bye. You've been listening to the QuickBook Reviews podcast. That's enough books, said no one, ever. See you again soon. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com.